This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for March 11th, 2021. Apple changes a word in podcasting. New iMacs may be around the corner, but whither the iMac Pro? Serial numbers will soon become more random, plus everything you need to know about the batteries in your Apple devices. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing really well. I just have a question for you. Do you subscribe to this podcast? Um, I do. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I subscribe to my own podcast? Well, I'm just <laughs> curious because in the future, apparently, you're not going to be subscribing. You're going to be following the podcast, at least for Apple. Uh, we have a story from Pod News, which is a site that writes about podcasting, about the business of podcasting. And in iOS 14.5, which should come out pretty soon, um, Apple has made this change to, to go from subscribing to podcasts to following podcasts because... According to some research done, 47% of people who don't currently listen to podcasts think that subscribing to a podcast will cost money. This is pretty surprising because, I mean, of course, we've been listening to podcasts and, uh, you know, recording podcasts for as long as we can remember, as long as that's been a thing, right? Yeah. And um, so to us, it it seems a little bit odd that there's that many people who think that subscribing to a podcast means you have to pay for a podcast. Um, I know there are some properties on the web where, you know, you have to subscribe in order to get access to things. And in those cases, subscribe sometimes does mean that you're actually paying for, for something. You know, I, I can't remember what they call it, but I know YouTube has this thing too, where you can be a channel subscriber in, in the sense that you're like actually paying to help support that content creator. Right. And that's something different entirely from just following that channel uh, and subscribing on a, on a free basis. Everyone subscribes to newsletters all the time. You go to some some business website and they say subscribe to our newsletter. By the way, go to the Intego website and you can subscribe to our newsletter and get information about articles and our podcast episodes. It's free. I don't think anyone thinks it's not free. And for something like that, follow wouldn't be the right word, would it? Well, it seems weird, right? Um, because yeah. it, when you're talking about an email list, how do you follow an email list? That's uh, Exactly. It, well, it, you it follow the website. Right. Follow yeah. our website by email? It sounds odd. It sounds odd. So to me, if, it, if I was following a newsletter, that to me would be passive, that I would have to go to the website to find out about it, right? Yeah, I guess it does sound like that. Now, with podcasts, though, I feel like that is a little bit different of a, a thing. Because it's sort of an audio program that's being pushed toward you, subscribe has always kind of made sense to me with the exception of that. I, I've heard this before from other people, too. It's not just in this recent survey, but... Um, that some people do have the perception that subscribe means that there's some sort of monetary transaction that I have to pay for something. And I know, for example, um, uh, Leo Laporte is a podcaster who's also been doing this a long time. And I've, I've heard him comment on shows before that, you know, when you subscribe to our podcast, it's free. And I, and I always think, well, shouldn't that go without saying, I mean, does anyone really think that you generally need to pay money to subscribe to a podcast? Um, I know there are a couple of 
podcasts are paywalled, but generally that's not something that you just encounter. You know, if people are talking about a show. It's pretty rare. Yeah. 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 So what I'm wondering is if when Apple makes this change, which presumably is going to be um, iOS 14.5 and whatever the next version of macOS Big Sur is at the same time, because it'll be in the podcasts app on iOS, on the Mac, etc. Are they making the change because they're going to introduce paid for podcasts, in which case subscribe will have a dollar sign or whatever currency? Now, that's a really interesting question because uh, Apple has not really ever gotten into this game of having paid services surrounding podcasts. Um, There are a lot of companies out there that do offer services for podcasters. And, you know, with Apple being so uniquely positioned with having really by far the biggest podcast platform that's out there uh, in terms of number of subscribers and uh, number of uh, people who already have this podcast app built into their device, right? With an iPhone or an iPad. Um, Well, and even with Macs now too, you've got the podcast app. Apple really has cornered this market. They, They basically created this market in the first place, right? Because there wasn't really that much interest in podcasting until it became an Apple approved thing. And um, Apple's definitely in a position where they could offer some additional services to podcasters and maybe make paid subscriptions be a thing. Maybe, uh, you know, you really like a particular podcaster and maybe you want some additional content from them. Um, Apple could certainly be in a position where they could offer paid subscriptions for additional content. Or they could even have a sort of Patreon model. If you want to make a donation to a podcast you like, uh, Apple could do that through their app store. Yeah, I don't see why not. It would absolutely make sense for Apple to do something like that. Okay, we're going to update all of our texts where we talk about subscribing to the Intego Mac podcast (laughs) when this goes live. So for now, subscribe to our podcast, but pretty soon we'll ask you to change and follow our podcast instead. (laughs) We were briefly looking at the iMac Pro before we started recording. It's now listed as while supplies last on the Apple website. $49.99, 10 core, no build-to-order configurations. We were kind of wondering, are they going to keep this around? When you think that my $999 MacBook Air is faster than the iMac Pro in most things, obviously the iMac Pro has other you know, special features in it. Um, we were wondering if... When they update the low-end iMac, which apparently is what's going to happen next, maybe by the end of this month, will they still keep the iMac Pro for the handful of people who need those extra hardware features? Well, so this is a difficult thing to really answer because what it seems like Apple is doing here, by all accounts, is that they're just letting their existing inventory of iMac Pro sell out, right? And then it doesn't look like they're really planning to immediately replace it. Uh, Unless Apple surprises us with uh, an somehow an iMac Pro model that has uh, their Apple Silicon processing technology. I don't really think that we're likely to see that in the near future. Um, It seems like uh, with M1, Apple is really mostly targeting the the basic uh, everyday users. And iMac Pro clearly was not really designed for everyday users. It was... um, it was called Pro for a reason. It was using a Xeon processor, which is not like your standard 
processor that uh, you know consumers generally use. It's more like a server type processor. The iMac Pro had a 10 gigabit Ethernet port. Here I'm already talking about it, past tense, like it's dead and gone already. But uh, but uh, and also has um, a, a decent uh, graphics card as well. So these are all reasons that you know somebody might be interested in getting a Mac Pro, where it would be a different thing altogether if they tried to put Apple Silicon into something that they call the pro machine right now. Right. Well, we'll see what happens. Um, Apple's always had these devices hang on for a long time because there's nothing else to fill that gap in the market. We saw with the Mac Pro, Apple kept the Mac Pro around for a long time until they finally updated it to the new Mac Pro. But for years, and they were selling it at almost the same price originally, it was like a five-year-old Mac selling, you know, at the price of what it would have been when it was new and they don't discount it. So maybe this time they're changing the way they do that. Well, and the funny thing is we're, we're getting to that exact same point now with the iMac Pro because uh, the processor that it includes, this 10-core Xeon W processor, came out in 2017 and it's based on the 2015, I think, Skylake uh, Intel architecture, which is 6th gen, which is so old by now because now you've got 11th gen Intel processors coming out this year. Uh, so the iMac Pro is definitely looking old and outdated compared to all these newer M1-based Macs that are starting to come out. Okay, you know a bit about Boolean algebra, don't you? Oh, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> the only reason we know about it is that we often have commands that will run on the command line with the values true or false at the end of it. Yes. Imagine what would happen if your name was one of those operators, like poor Rachel True, T-R-U-E, who had been locked out of iCloud for months and the error message that would come up was type error cannot set value true to property last name. <laughs> this is just such an amateur coding error. But six months yeah. and she's been talking to Apple over and over. Why did this? How can this happen? Well, what's so funny about this, first of all, this is the kind of thing that um, you see from time to time. Something like this will, will happen uh, just because of some silly programming issue right um and for the idea that someone can have a last name that's not like made up like i i mean i'm sure she didn't make up the last name true for herself um and she is unable to use icloud for six months because of some error that <laughs> prevents her from using her own actual last name one suggestion i saw on twitter was that she get married and change her name but if she happened <laughs> But if she happened to marry someone named Mrs. Null, that would cause other problems, wouldn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, of course. Um, and of course, the, um, a lot of people who follow the XKCD comic or, or occasionally see uh, issues of, of this comic, there's, there's a great one that came out, I don't know, many years ago now, um, called Exploits of a Mom. And in this, uh, this is a four panel comic and, the, and someone is calling this mom on the phone from the kid's school and saying, we're having some computer trouble. And she goes, oh dear, did he break something? And the, the uh, person calling the mom says, in a way, did you really name your son Robert? Uh, and then it's followed by, um, did you really name your son Robert apostrophe in parentheses, semicolon space, drop table students? Oh, yes, Little Bobby Tables, we call him. Well, we've lost this year's student records. I hope you're happy. And I hope you've learned to sanitize your database inputs. 
which basically means that they need to check certain things when data is being imported into their databases. Now, this recalled an incident that occurred in 2001, and I had to go to Twitter to find out exactly what happened. There was a an installer for iTunes 2 back in the day, and when some people installed it, their hard drives were erased. What happened was that if the first character of the hard drive name was a space, then it would erase. Now, it's not common to put a space for the name of a hard drive, but when you're typing a name, you might accidentally hit a space, and a lot of people lost, you know, Here's someone saying lost 100 gigabytes of files, and it's just lazy. It's just sloppy because iTunes 1 didn't do that, right? It was something in the new installer code that they didn't test or they didn't check. You're not going to test that, but this is just – it's a typo in their code that has, you know, serious consequences. And when we're going down this rat hole anyway, um, I I feel like I should mention some amusing anecdote that I've never written about this. I I feel like I should write something up about this. I think I intended to back uh, when this occurred. So this was sometime, um, let's say circa 2010, maybe, um, give or take four years. And um, I remember like working on a computer that wouldn't boot. Somebody was like, Hey, help me out here. My Mac won't boot. And I'm like, okay, sure. I'll take a look at it for you. And, um, it turned out that there was nothing actually wrong with the computer, except that the Macintosh HD name of the drive had been changed to something, you know, someone had smacked the keyboard accidentally renaming the name of the Macintosh HD, and it started with a backspace character or something like that, and the Mac would not boot. The only way that I could fix this was to actually start up this Mac in, I don't know if you remember, target disk mode. That's not really a thing anymore. But um, but you can plug in uh, uh, older Macs to another Mac using a Firewire cable or, or a Thunderbolt cable at one point, and um, you could essentially use that Mac like an external hard drive. And that's exactly what I had to do. I had to plug this into another Mac and then rename the hard drive, and then it would boot fine after that. So um, I know that's a little bit of a rat hole, but yeah, I, as, as we're talking about these these glitches and how, how does something like this happen, right? Like why aren't things like this being sanitized? You should be able to name Macintosh HD whatever the heck you want. And let's talk about the fact that they call it Macintosh HD, right? They don't use the name Macintosh anymore. It's not an HD anymore. They don't sell any Macs with hard drives anymore. They're all SSDs. So on my iMac, I change it to Mac SSD because I find that more appropriate. Um, On my MacBook Air, I do leave it because sometimes when I'm writing articles, I want things to be the default so users see what they're used to seeing. Quickly before the break, iOS and iPadOS 14.4.1 fixes a WebKit vulnerability. This sounds like it was pretty serious, so update all your stuff. And also, there was a corresponding update for uh, macOS if you have Big Sur. And if you have Catalina or Mojave, you also have a Safari update. So everybody gets the WebKit update. Okay, and randomized serial numbers. We talked about this. I'm going to try and find the episode where we talked about this. Put a link in the show notes. Apple is finally planning to switch to randomized serial numbers for future products starting in early 2021. And you explained to me why this is a problem for system administrators. Frankly, I don't care because I've got two Macs. I've got a bunch of iPads and things. It doesn't matter to me. But for you, there was important information available with that serial number. Right. Well, so both system administrators as well as uh, repair shop, especially if you're an independent third-party repair shop, um, you didn't necessarily have um, 
you know, you don't have the access to the same databases that Apple does. Um, but there was a way um, f- with all Apple serial numbers practically up to date uh, where you can determine certain things about that model of Apple device based on the serial number. So, for example, you can find out where it was manufactured, when it was manufactured, and some other information like that. In some cases, uh, build-to-order Macs that are, you know, customized Macs um, will also have some additional special information at the in a certain part of the serial number. So there's useful information that can often be gleaned from Apple serial numbers. And now that's just apparently going to be completely out the window, which is um, frustrating for certain subsets of Apple users and Apple repairers and things. I remember a few years ago, there was an iPhone model where there were two different processors or the processor was made by two different companies. And there was a way of looking at the serial number to know which one you had. And of course, everyone wanted the good one, not the bad one. Well, right. And so the theory behind this, the reason why a lot of people think that Apple is moving away from, you know, um, being more transparent with its serial numbers is that they don't want consumers to say, oh, I know somebody who had a similar serial number to mine and it was manufactured in the same place or time or whatever. And therefore, because they had a problem with their phone, I want to turn in my phone and get a new one just preemptively because I don't want the same problems that they had. And that's the the thing that presumably Apple's trying to get away from here. They don't want to have to deal with preemptive, you know, returns of products because someone thinks that they might be affected by some glitch. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about batteries. Everything you need to know about batteries in your iPhone, iPad, and Mac. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users, made by the Mac security experts. Okay, batteries, we've got them all over the place. Think about how many devices have batteries. Um... If you've got Apple devices, your iPhone, your iPad, your iPod Touch, your Apple Watch, your AirPods, your AirPods Pro, your AirPods Max, your Apple Pencil, um, and of course, any laptops, they've all got batteries. And I've been having a whole lot of battery problems lately. My partner had a first-generation iPhone SE, 
And the battery actually got replaced just before it was two years old because there was an issue. Remember around the time that they were replacing, I think, iPhone 8 batteries? It was a similar battery thing. And it died a few weeks ago. It just like the battery would just wouldn't hold very long. She was using an iPad that I bought back in 2014, which also died. Now, let's admit that more than six years for an iPad is pretty good. My iPhone 11's got battery problems. Um, so first, here's a little tip. One of the things that I noticed on her iPhone SE um, is it was showing a very high amount of battery percentage for exposure notifications because she had the COVID exposure notifications turned on. And I have a feeling that killed the battery, like the battery was weak, but I think it killed it off. Now, on my iPhone, um, I called Apple Care support because my iPhone is a year and a half old and the battery doesn't last all day. They had me reinstall iOS completely, which isn't too hard to do. And I noticed it got a little bit better, but I noticed that exposure notifications were on, yet they weren't showing in the battery settings. So if you've got battery problems in an iPhone, check exposure notifications. Anyway, this led to an article that I wrote for the Intego Max Security blog about batteries, um, how they work, uh, how long a battery is supposed to last for an Apple device, how to get info about your batteries, and some tips about how to extend battery life. How much attention do you pay to your batteries, Josh? Do you ever notice, like, by the end of the day, you need to charge your iPhone a little bit more? Okay, so I, I know that this is not a good practice. At least most people will tell you you shouldn't do this. But I do tend to leave my iPhone plugged in most of the day. When I'm sitting at uh, my computer, I've got my iPhone next to me on the desk, and I usually have it plugged in and charging. Okay, and so one of the Apple Care people told me you should never use a device when it's plugged in. I disagree with that because there are reasons why you would need to. Um, but why do you keep it plugged in? It's not using a lot of power. Why don't you get one of those Qi chargers? Does your iPhone support that oh, induction yeah. charging? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, because I that do charges have a lot more slowly, okay. and that way it might be a little bit better for the battery compared to your usage. Um, you can get some that are flat. I have one that's flat under right. my iMac, but you can also get the kind that kind of leans back like a stand so you can keep it and still use the iPhone. Yeah, that's a fair point. I, I do have an old Qi charger that um, I think it's only five watts or, or something like that. And they have uh, newer ones that will charge a lot faster. Right. But So Apple rates batteries according to charge cycles. And this is something that people need to understand. A charge cycle is when you've used 100% of your battery's capacity. This could be in one day between one charge, it's full, and then it depletes fully, and then you charge it. Or you could use 50% over two days or 25% over four days. Basically, 100% of the capacity is a charge cycle. Now, new Apple devices, and it's really interesting researching this article, looking back on how good the batteries were. If you buy a new iPad, Apple Watch, or an Apple laptop, they're rated to last for 1,000 charge cycles and still say above 80% capacity. If they go below that and you have an Apple Care contract, Apple will replace them. But I looked back, some of the older laptops, like 2008, 2009, they were only rated for 300 or 500 cycles. Remember when a laptop, it was good to get five or six hours battery life, and now we're talking all-day battery life for laptops. Yeah, that's true. Well, especially now with the Apple Silicon uh, technology, the battery life is dramatically increased over what it used to be. Yeah. And so what this means is not only will your battery last longer 
if the battery life is extended, but it'll last longer in years as well. Um, as, as the battery capacity decreases, don't forget, when it gets down to 90%, a full charge cycle is only 90% of the power you had at 100%, so it's not as long as the 100% charge cycle, right? So each charge cycle shortens the length of time you can charge the battery and means that you're going to have more charge cycles every month, let's say. So you might want to check the charge cycles on your battery, especially if your battery is not doing well and you're covered by Apple Care. Um, in this article, I explain how to do this on a Mac with the System Information app. And I mentioned two apps that you can run on your Mac that can find the battery information for a connected iOS device. Um, one is Coconut Battery. It's free, but there's a pro version. It doesn't do anything other than give you information about the battery and device. The other is iMazing, which is an app that lets you back up your iOS device, sync, et cetera. And they have a battery panel um, for your devices. Now, they don't present the same amount of information, but they'll show you how much your device is charged, what the battery health is, which is that's that percentage that goes down to 80 or below, and they'll give you some more information. I also go into the battery settings on iOS. There are a lot of things you can do to optimize your battery life and extend it. There's a battery health screen on the iPhone, oddly not on the iPad, which will tell you that maximum capacity. You can see in the screenshot, my iPhone 11 is at 84%. There's a little toggle at the bottom for optimized battery charging. Uh, this is, I think, new in iOS 13. This came out. And Apple says the iPhone learns from your daily charging routine, so it can wait to finish charging past 80% until you need to use it. In other words, when it gets to that top between 80% and 100%, it's, it's going to go to trickle charge, but it doesn't want to be at 100% plugged in too much because that can degrade the battery a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, th and this is why <laughs> most people will recommend that you shouldn't leave your phone plugged in and charging all the time um, because you don't necessarily want to actually have it topped off all the time because that can, in some cases, shorten the battery life. I don't know. D there's different theories on this. And of course, battery technology is uh, advancing over time, but that's still generally um, advice that most people will give you regarding battery health. And you know this and you still keep your iPhone plugged in all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's very rare that, uh, that I, I'm really using my phone away from some source of power uh, for an extended period of time. And, um, I, so yeah, I probably should just let it get a lot lower than I do normally, but yeah. And actually <laughs> I, I am going to try, uh, it's been a while. I've, I'll have to find my Qi wireless charger that I've got in a box somewhere. Uh, they got for free at a, at a tech conference once. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's probably a good idea. I like the idea of, uh, trying that out instead just because it, I know that it will charge much slower than having it actually plugged in, um, which could actually be a good thing. And maybe that actually will help uh, in the long run with the battery health. That's what I do overnight. I have one on a table next to the bed and I put it on there and it, it charges in a few hours. Um, uh -huh. it, even though it's slower than a plugged in charge, uh, it certainly charges fast enough. Um, so I've got a number of tips in this article about what you can do. And one of the important things that Apple stresses on their website is don't use your devices in temperatures above 35 degrees centigrade or 95 degrees Fahrenheit. You may not think about this, but I saw an article the other day. Is it like more than 100 days a year where Phoenix, Arizona has temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit? That so if you're in a right, place yeah. like that, you can damage your batteries just by being alive and being outside. 
But another example is if you, imagine if you leave your iPad in your car and the car is in the sun and the temperature gets really, really hot in the car, that also can damage your battery. Right. Especially if, if you've left the device on and it's in the car while it's that hot outside. Uh, imagine it's only going to be hotter inside your car and your device has a, a, a range uh, that, that it can operate safely. Right. Um, so if you have it completely shut down, that's different from just turning the screen off. If you've just got the screen off, uh, that means it's still running, and um, you know it's it's more likely to get damaged if if left in a very hot environment like that. Now, th- another thing I think that uh, I, I have found kind of interesting is that in cases where I've been in a warm environment here in California, I've actually seen warnings on my phone telling me it's too hot. And um, that they recommend shutting it off for a while, or I'm trying to think exactly what the dialog box says. It's been a little while since I've seen that, but um, Apple will actually warn you in some cases if your device is getting up into that really high threshold um, and let you know, hey, you you need to take a break. (laughs) I I did not know that because where I live, it's not that hot, so we don't have to worry about it. An interesting feature that Apple added a couple years ago is low power mode, and this is in iOS and iPadOS. And when the power gets below 20%, you can engage low power mode, and it disables a few things on your device like handoff and continuity or automatic email checks and all that. But it can definitely increase the amount of time that your device will be usable. So another good tip is the screen brightness. In fact, what probably uses the most power on an iOS device is the screen brightness, unless you're playing a game or something that's, you know, doing a lot in the background. Um, Auto brightness is really useful. Unfortunately, they've hidden this setting. Instead of it being in settings, display, and brightness, where you can adjust the brightness of the screen, you have to go to settings, accessibility, display, and text size, and then toggle auto brightness, which is all the way at the bottom of the screen. This seems to me like something that should be up at the top in almost in the battery settings. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, at the very least, there ought to be a, a way to get to it a little bit quicker. I mean, you can, of course, search for this. And that's what often I have to do because there's so many settings now. It's sometimes hard to figure out what category something is going to be in. Uh, and this is certainly one of those cases. So I'm pretty weird here because I like to leave the brightness turned way down on my devices. I'm like all over the place when it comes to like battery health things. I leave the brightness like to the bare minimum almost all the time on my phone. And yet I also charge it all the time. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm i not the greatest example. But people look at my phone and they go, how can you even see like anything on your phone screen right now? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm used to it. I leave the brightness down on purpose to like extend the battery life when in cases where I am away from someplace where I can charge it. And so, um, yeah, it's just something that I've I've started doing out of habit for the last several years. And um, yeah, most people think I'm crazy for it, but it does significantly affect the life of your battery. Well, it certainly does. In in fact, that is, again, as I said before, other than like games or things that are really intense, um, that is the one thing that makes a big difference. So briefly, let's talk about laptops. If you have a laptop, you go to system preferences, battery, you have a number of options. You get a graph showing your usage. Um, There's a very big difference between a laptop and an iOS device because on iOS devices, you switch from app to app, but you don't quit them, so they're still running in the background. On a Mac, you quit an app, and it's not taking power anymore. 
you can see how many apps are open if you look at the dock, uh, whereas on iOS, you can't see this. So it's possible to quit apps on the Mac to save battery life. There are a few settings in the battery preference pane. One of them is slightly dim the display while on battery power, which is useful. Uh, how bright is your Mac that you're looking at now? Is it the same brightness as your phone? No, I <laughs> I do tend to leave my computer screens a little bit brighter, uh, I, but uh, also I try to adjust it so that it's not so bright that it's like hurting my eyes. Like if if I can look at the screen comfortably, um, then that's the that's the sweet spot for me. Like um, it's, when I'm working on graphics, I do like to have it a little bit brighter so I can get more accurate colors. Um, but, um, other than that, I, I leave it kind of right at the point where it's not hurting my eyes to, to look at the screen. Okay, Josh, (laughs) (laughs) I I have all these weird, I know I'm, I'm weird. What can I say? If depending on the version of the operating system that you're running on your Mac, um, you may not see system preferences battery. You may actually just see energy saver. If you type in battery in the search field, um, you'll get a couple of options that say something like uh, conserve battery or show battery status in menu bar, and it'll highlight energy saver for you. Um, so there are a couple of settings that you can do related to while your Mac is running from the battery. Um, Right. And those settings are the same. The difference on the Intel Mac is you get the graph similar to on iOS on the main screen. Uh, But if you click either the battery or power adapter uh, icons in the sidebar, you get the same settings that you have in the energy saver preference pane on other Macs. Gotcha. So if your battery finally dies, well, you can get it replaced, you know. Most people don't realize that it's not that expensive. Um, It's either $49 or $69 for a battery replacement on an iPhone. Uh, depending on the model. More recent models are more expensive. For laptops, it's a lot more. It goes from 129 to 199 um, One thing that I found, so I mentioned a couple of devices that are having problems with batteries. They also have an iPad Mini 4 that's almost dead. Apple's offering some really good trade-in prices for the iPads, not for the old iPhone SE, but for the iPads, um, it's not bad. So if I, I was... Thinking about spending what it would cost, I think, 99 pounds here to replace the battery on the iPad that my partner was using. But I got 110 pounds on a trade-in, and a new entry-level iPad is only 329. So getting that instead of a six-year-old iPad, I think, is a good change. In particular, so when, once you're getting a device that's that old, we're getting to the point where the next version of iOS might not run on it. And then you get all the issues that you can't update it, you can't get security updates, etc. So I'll link to this article in the show notes. If you do have battery issues with your devices, it's good to take a look at these to find out, you know, how to keep them lasting a little bit longer. I'm curious to see the results of your experiment, Josh, to go to Qi charging instead of plugging your thing in all the time. Um, We'll talk about this next week. Until then, stay secure. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com.